Welcome to episode 12 of the Non-Anxious Churches podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Knight. The goal of this podcast is to participate in a larger conversation about anxiousness that seeps into the church. Churches are not immune to the anxiousness of our world and at times can even perpetuate it. This is a conversation that is important. Anxious churches create burned out people, exhausted people, and some people that leave never to return. So together, let's journey towards healthy churches by not perpetuating anxiousness, but instead finding the peace of Christ by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Today, let's talk about the role of a pastor. So thank you for joining me again on the Non-Anxious Church Podcast, where we're cultivating a church culture that isn't lost in the sea of anxiousness, one podcast at a time. This discussion is going to be two parts, and really a long-term, consistent conversation that we will probably continue to come back to over the course of this podcast journey. It's the role of a pastor. This week, I had two conversations about what a pastor does. One was more focused on a specific question. That question was, how often should the lead pastor preach? And it was an ideological struggle between a leadership team and a pastor about how many times is too many or too little or really what is the role of the lead pastor. And the other was around the topic um, of the pastor job description. And, And this one maybe. We'll go back uh, even further than the last week, and I can even think back to one of our listeners, J.D. Fitz, who a friend of mine who emailed in some of his thoughts um, from 2 Timothy about the pastoral job description. We'll look at that maybe next week. Um, But let's first start with a grand view of the pastoral role. There are countless books on this subject and, and more coming out all the time on what a pastor is, the calling behind a pastor, um, the, what a pastor does, a pastor, how a pastor should think, all that kind of stuff. And there's no way we can really get into every facet, nuance, metaphor, or understanding of a pastor, especially in, less, in a less than 20-minute podcast. Um, and so we're just going to look at, really at a grand view of this thing. We're going to take the helicopter up and we're going to look down at the role of a pastor today. And we'll get a little more specific with the job description next week. The word pastor literally means shepherd. That's what it literally means. Lexham defines it as a leader of a church that cares for people and their spiritual needs like a shepherd would care for the physical needs of sheep. Baker Encyclopedia says the the NT or the New Testament imagery, shepherd, comes from an Old Testament and Palestinian background. In the Jewish economy, the shepherd who tended a flock of sheep or goats held a responsible position. Great flocks had to be moved from place to place and it was necessary that they be guarded from wild animals and robbers. Because of the fundamental role of shepherding in the ancient world, the word shepherd became a common term for ruler. This is what these two sort of definitions give us at a grand view of what it looks like. So the pastor, the pastor's primary role is what? Like is what? Based on the biblical and the literal definition of pastor. 
It's this idea, this flourishing of life for the people in the church. The pastor is is sort of at the is the point person, if you will, the the one on the, the one sort of leading the charge for flourishing in of the life of the community of believers. I see it as helping people learn to follow the good shepherd. I see it as helping create an environment that brings about the producing of fruit. I see it specifically here at Praise as helping people learn to be with Jesus and like Jesus. The follow-up question becomes, though, how do you put that in a job description? How do you define that on a piece of paper? And I truly believe a job description is a helpful tool in so many ways. It's a helpful thing um, because it allows um, a, a person, not a person to be able to know what is expected of them. And it allows a company to know what is expected of the person they hired. Um, and I do believe it's necessary to have job descriptions, but there is a spirit to the job description versus a letter of the law to the job description, if you know what I mean. There's this idea that, that we want to see certain goals and certain things accomplished as part of your job versus just saying you have to do everything that's listed on the job description because a job description is a tool to help frame a job. And it can be even a legal document a company can hold someone to or even they can hold the company to it. Um, however, it's not just a tool. A tool to bring a job to life. That's what it is. It's a paper that's supposed to bring a job to life. And a pastoral job description then will never be quite perfect. Nor should any pastor ever do the bare minimum or overly focus on the job description as a way to skate by or as a means to an end. To go back to the shepherd idea, while you may be able to get most of what a shepherd does into a job description, like if you were writing a job description for a shepherd, say you was like, right now I task you, hey, sit down, write a job description for a shepherd. Like what do shepherds do? Not a pastor. No, I'm talking about like a literal shepherd with literal sheep. What would you write down? Um, you would write down some of the things that are obvious, some of the things that are necessary, leading a sheep around, protecting the sheep, as we just saw above, making sure they don't stray off, you know, that kind of things, keeping them together. Um, that would be kind of the things, but you could never really quite get everything a shepherd does in a job description, right? I mean, are you, are you going to be able to write down every single nuance of what they do? And this is where a pastor... This idea of a pastor sort of begins. It's the job description becomes a framework to be able to bring a job to life, but a, a pastor should go above and beyond what's really in there and, and really more naturally sort of just have a love and care and kindness for the people that God's entrusted to them, the people in their church, similar to a shepherd. If they're sheep, if the shepherd genuinely cares for the sheep, they will do more for the sheep than if they're just fulfilling their job description. Now, maybe I'm not being clear. Um, so let me get, let me go to a question I got this week, right? The one I mentioned earlier, how many times should a pastor preach, right? If we're going to get into the nuances of what it is that a shepherd does, a pastor does, how many times should a pastor preach? And let's add some others around it. Should a lead pastor be over the staff? Should they be the ones in charge of every single staff member that they have on staff? Should should they be part of picking the worship music? 
What about picking the Sunday school curriculum or the kids' ministry lessons? Um, should they be the ones that, that decide every study that the small groups do? Um, and, and one church may think one thing and one church may think another on on all these questions, but we need to get back to the larger thinking, right? And this is where, if you want to get into the specifics, first zoom out to the larger understanding, the pastor as shepherd. Or maybe another imagery is more closer to our cultural understanding, right? Because I assume I'm right now sitting in my office at Praise Covenant Church in Tacoma, Washington, where there's about 1.1 million people in a 15-minute a, a drive from me, maybe 20-minute drive from me. Um, there's a lot of people around as a city, a suburb, city, mostly both of those things. And so we, there's not a lot of shepherds. In fact, I'm not sure I could find a sheep uh, in 15. If someone gave me a 15-minute task to go find a sheep, I'm not sure I could do it. Um, so we, maybe you're like me. You don't really have a, a framework for understanding the shepherd job description. Well, the good news is there's other metaphors and other analogies that are used in the scriptures for pastors in church. And Paul uses actually two metaphors for the church in 1 Corinthians 3. He literally uses these two metaphors at the exact same time, field and building. And he's sort of interloping them. He refers to the act and the art of growing a garden or building a building. Actually, let's read a little bit of it first. It's from 1 Corinthians 3, 3 through 15. It says this, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apostle Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. There it is, God's field, God's building. But the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on their this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If it has been if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the fames. Now, first, let me say, let me say this. There's a lot to, that's going on here in this scripture that we can't get into on this podcast. I, but I do want us to focus in on those those metaphors. And in fact, even this idea that he says, Apollos is doing something, I'm doing something, but it's really God that's doing all the work. It's, it's when I go to about to make a building, I think about making a building, right? Lay the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And then we go... And each person's going to do their own role in making sure this happened. And I want to hone in on these metaphors for the church and his relationship as pastor to it, right? Because Paul sees himself as pastor to these Corinthians that he's writing to. Um, and he even mentions other pastors and leaders in this, Apollos being one of them. Here's what I would encourage churches and pastors to think about when it comes to the lead pastor job description. That they are hiring a gardener 
whether you want to call it a master gardener is fine uh, they're hiring a gardener to if i use the field metaphor or a general contractor if i want to use the building metaphor that's what they're hiring the gardener and the contractor both have the same job description to what to bring forth the vision and cultivate flourishing based on the resources in front of them the gardener is going to work the soil plant prepare prune spread fertilizer and, and much more things for the goal of producing fruit conditions and weather will affect this so will conditions of the soil and receptivity of the plants but the gardener will work and even bring in others to help. And if the gardener cares about the garden, they will not just do what the bare minimum is, they will make sure they are doing as much as they can to bring about the producing of fruit. Thus, the gardener will do most of the gardening. He will find ways to utilize other people to cultivate the gardening for the betterment of the garden. And this is what I, what I would even encourage somebody that's like, how many times should a pastor preach a year? Well, the gardener is going to do most of the work, but there's going to be times where you got to bring in other people. Now, think about it. We have a garden at my, my wife and I have a garden at our house. We've gardened for years, but we're always learning new things. A few years ago, a friend came by and showed me how to spread wood chips for composting over the garden, especially in the winter as, as the moisture and the water and the rain and all that kind of stuff can begin to sort of break those things down. And it's really good for your soil. A couple of years ago, I learned about pruning fruit trees so they grow better, so they don't get burdened down. This last year, we learned about the benefits from our neighbor of certain fertilizers, of certain things that actually help create better soil. Um, we've had friends come by and plant new things in our gardens and even move things around for more sun or whatever because they happen to know about these plants better than we do. My wife even recently learned more extensively about composting and what it looks like to make a good compost bin so we can have better soil. Now, none of those other people are ultimately in charge of whether our garden flourishes or not, whether it produces fruit or not. They're not in charge of that. Of course, they want to help and we entrust their help, but it is our garden. A little plot of earth that God has allowed us to steward and bring forth fruit for him. For, like Paul said, for it's still God that's in charge of the weather, the sun, the rain, the soil, and he knows all the intricacies of, the, of how a plant grows. In fact, he's the one in charge of growing it, right? If it wasn't uh, through his allowance, the plant wouldn't grow. We, we partner with him in our stewardship of the land he entrusted with us. As pastor and church leaders, it's similar in that regard. Ultimately, the pastor job description matters less in the details and more in the reality of a flourishing garden. The church that God has entrusted for a pastor to steward well for his kingdom. We may bring in other experts, learn things, do different studies, move plants around, but with the goal of what? What's the goal still? The producing fruit through the power of God. Now, if we go back to the building metaphor that Paul uses, the general contractor will hire out much of what he does. But at the end of the day, it's not the framer that is in charge of making sure the building is built. It's the contractor. The framer will swoop in and frame and then leave. The electrician will do the electrical work and be in charge of making sure that the wires are hooked up to code and safely. The plumber will plumb and so on. When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I would often work for one of my dad's close friends, Greg, who was a general contractor. And let me tell you something. I noticed he did a lot of the work. He wasn't sitting in a lawn chair, pointing his finger around at, and telling people what to do. In fact, he did probably most of the work. 
He had to do all the cleanup, the fixing, the repairing, the reconfiguring, the problem solving. He had to be the one that followed the, the, the execution of the timeline. He had to go through all that sort of stuff. He was constantly working, working crazy hours at times too. He would often even do some of the jobs that were hired out or were supposed to be hired out, jumping right in. For ultimately, it was his project to steward wisely. He would bring in experts to make sure it was built right, according to the plans he was either given or had in front of him. But he ultimately was still the one that was directing to make sure it was becoming the building it was supposed to be. Thus, a pastor will do a lot of the pastoring, but a wise pastor will find ways to bring others in for the sake of the church. In the same way a gardener does for the garden and a contractor does for the building, a wise pastor, similar to a wise gardener or a wise contractor, will know their limits, their strengths, their gift sets, and be able to find ways in which they can sort of priesthood of all believers this thing and allow the church to flourish through the trusting of God to the resources that's been given them. But the pastor continues to sort of be the one out front. Uh, even if they're not truly out front, like not, don't think spotlight here. Think of somebody that's, that's the contractor working behind the scenes, even if needed to be, to make sure the building is being put together the way that God has envisioned it to be put together or the master architect has. Like the caretaker of a garden, um, I'll do most of the work in there, but I like to have others come in once in a while and help out. For their gifts help create a better garden. They are experts in carrots, and they can help us grow some good ones. They know how roses are pruned best, and so they'll help us prune the roses. They know how apple trees produce more fruit, and so on. So it's not that I'm shirking my responsibilities. It's not that these pastors that preach only 40 times or 30 times a year are shirking their responsibilities. They still, hopefully, see themselves as caretaking a more beautiful garden. Now, if you, if you hired a lazy pastor, that's a whole different thing. A pastor that doesn't love or care for their people is, a, is, a, is, is something that we have to talk about at a different day on a different time. But the pastor that truly loves their people and cares for their people and wants to see the flourishing and the producing of fruit will ultimately, like a shepherd with the sheep and the gardener with the garden and the contractor with the building, will ultimately want what's best for it, even if that means having somebody else sort of make sure the electric is hooked up right. There's flourishing that they want to see happen. They want to see the garden produce fruit and the building be used as a building and, the, and, and all those things. For ultimately, what a pastor is and what a church leader is, is a wise steward. One that knows God has entrusted a field, a flock, a building to them. They don't own it, nor are they the ultimate power over it. They just used wisdom and humility to see flourishing take place in the kingdom of God. The balance of the priesthood of all believers makes this more active and alive. For that means in some ways, all the people in the church have a hand in this garden. Have a hand in this building. Have a hand in this flock. They all have a stake in making sure it's flourishing. Sharing the responsibility and being good stewards of the garden. Now we need to talk more about this and we need to talk more about the job description of a pastor, especially if we, as we've seen some real wonky examples of this over the last decade. However, that's enough for this week. We've, we've, we've done a good amount of time together today and we've had a grand view of, of this idea. We've taken the helicopter up and we've looked at the role of a pastor and really even at the end, the role of every 
church member to see the flourishing of the community of God, whether it's Apollos or Paul, Pastor Mark, Pastor whoever, may we all, or congregant, so-and-so, may we all participate in this flourishing of a non-anxious church. Thank you for joining me this week on the Non-Anxious Churches podcast. Let's create a fruitful garden together in the power of the Holy Spirit. May God, the Good Shepherd, the Great Gardener, and the Master Builder be with us in this non-anxious church endeavor. I'd love to hear from you. As I already mentioned earlier, I've heard from some of you. J.D. Fitz emailed in about pastoral job descriptions, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next episode. But hey, email me at nonanxiouschurches at gmail.com, whether it's stories of anxiousness or non-anxiousness, and how this has infiltrated the church. We'll talk again next week.